Welcome to Bonus Features. Some might call them supplemental materials, but there's so much more than that. It's the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, critics, academics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love to get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me today is the one and only Gaspar Noé, godfather of the new French extreme cinema and one of the great outsider auteurs working today. Honestly blown away that this even happened, as I got to spend 30 minutes with Gaspar, talking life, death, philosophy, Dario Argento, and his new movies Vortex and Lux Eterna. It's one of the true highlights of Secret Handshake's short history, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So here it is, an uncut conversation with a true legend. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Love the shirt, by the way. Um, very American. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. How's the uh, tour with the films been going? Fine. It's a... Uh, uh... I haven't been here to this country for for many years, so I'm just watching the the nice buildings <laughs> from the office. But the, um, yeah, I, I've been traveling a lot because we, the the movie came out in many countries at the same time. So I was in Switzerland, in Italy, in Turkey, in in, uh, in Belgium, in France, of course, and now I have to go to Spain, Portugal, England. But yeah, it's a, it's weird that uh, it almost never happens that the movies release during the same months all over the planet. Yeah, it sounds both exciting and exhausting at the same time. Yeah, what's exhausting is that uh, you get many times during during the day exactly the same questions. So you're trying to cheat yourself by answering the opposite things to the same question just to amuse yourself. <laughs> Well, I'll try to avoid any kind of repetition here for you to keep you at least somewhat engaged, you know. Um, but I did want to know, uh, re kind of visiting a bunch of your films before I even knew that we were going to uh, talk is yeah. that and then watching Vortex. Um, I keep thinking about how you're preoccupied with time and the destructive nature of it and wanted to see when that first became apparent to you and when you wanted to explore it, because Vortex almost seems to visit a, a couple at the end of time, obviously. Uh, I'm not worried about the era of, of time, but it's there from the first day to the last day. And um, uh, mostly like a, uh, this dream state that we call existence, uh, one day disappears. So uh, once you're gone, the dream disappears with, with, with your own presence. Uh, I went to film school when I was 17 in France. I came out when I was 19. And then uh, for two years, I was studying philosophy instead of working, uh, probably not because I was so interested in going to university, but mostly because I was too lazy to start working. So uh, I uh, I attended some some classes, and one of my favorite uh, classes uh, when I was studying philosophy was the, the nature of time. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, what's weird about time is that uh, you, I ended up coming to the conclusion that it's not out there, but it's uh, just inside the, the inner structure of your of your brain, uh, where it exists probably time doesn't exist outside your own brain. How so? 
how so? Yeah, it's, it's your brain that perceives the, 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 that direction, but probably some other forms of life, uh, non-mammal forms of life, have a very different perception of time and uh, also probably sometimes in uh, moments of unconsciousness, like when you're sleeping, you have a wider perception of, of what's the present, the past, and the future. Now, that's pretty, I don't even know where to go from there. That's pretty amazing because you have, I mean, even in something like Irreversible, you have uh, one of the main characters reading a book called An Experiment in Time yeah, and how humans... That, uh, that, that book influenced me a lot. It was uh, G.W. Dune who wrote that book in the 30s and he was noting his dreams every morning and a percentage of the content of his dreams uh, were related to things that he would find out during the day or or events that he could not have thought of the previous day. So that, like there were so many coincidences that he said, well, uh, you have a wider perception uh, of reality while you're sleeping because uh, you, you can guess things are going to happen during the next day. Not only your fears, because of course, when you, when you dream, uh, you are recreating... Uh, like I know, uh, dreams are, are are a mix of desires and nightmares and fears. But also, sometimes there are elements that come from nowhere, and those are the most interesting elements because the the the, the elements that you you think that they come from nowhere, they can also come from things that you're going to learn during the day. Now. Let's jump from there to to dreams and, and cinema as dreams, because one of the things that I found fascinating about Vortex is that uh, Mr. Argento's character is writing an entire book on cinema as dreams and how we kind of collectively dream within a movie theater. And I wanted you to, to kind of expand about that or on that a little bit, because I was fascinated because I felt like that could be an entire movie by itself. Or it could be an entire book by itself. That too. <laughs> I, I, I said many times, how uh, would you represent the the dream state in 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 on a screen uh, through cinematic tools like a camera, uh, sound mix, etc. And some old movies achieved uh, to get close to the language of dreams, like Anshan uh, Dalou, an illusion talk by Buñuel and Dali. Uh, even Eraser had the first movie by David Lynch. Feels like a nightmare, uh, and I know that Kubrick uh, said that that he he regrets he didn't have a the idea of doing a movie like a, a Razorhead. But um, the language of dreams is mostly silent. It's mostly in black and white, and also um, many things are reversed in, in in your dreams, in which you have uh, the voice of a character and the face of another one. Uh, um, I wish I could I could one day do a movie written in the language of dreams. But first, you have to analyze how how dreams are created, how they're edited. And I tried to find books about that subject, and I couldn't find them. So that's why I asked Dario when we decided that he would play a film critic that he should develop the the theme of uh, the language of dreams in cinema. And and then he improvised his lines, and he came with that quote. Uh, of Edgar Allan Poe saying life is a dream within a dream that that that's uh, that is used three times in the, the, the my movie Vortex. 
uh, but uh, Dario was good for 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 creating scenes that felt like dreams, also in Inferno, in Suspiria. Um, also, that there is something uncensored in dreams, uh, things that you never think of doing in real life. You, you you can do them in dreams. I killed people in my dreams, and I woke up and I was happy. Say, oh, happy! I'm happy. I did it, but I'm not going to experience that. I'm happy. It was just a dream. But uh, yeah, the the dreams are totally uncensored. So. In terms of uh, casting Dario Argento, how did that occur? And, and why did you go with film critic as opposed to filmmaker with him? Because, uh, I mean, I know that he obviously was a film critic in real life as well, but I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about that. Uh, I didn't want him to play Dario Argento. In the yeah. Movie. Like, uh, I did a movie lately that's coming out at the same time uh, called Luke Saturna with Beatrice Zahn and Charlie Gatron, and they're playing their own parts. Uh, I saw that if... I had asked Dario to play a filmmaker. Of course, it would have been Dario Argento playing Dario Argento, even if I had changed his name. So uh, by asking him to do what was his first job, uh, the film critic, and he, uh, when he was in his early 20s, he interviewed Fritz Lang and things like that, uh, it would make sense. And it was a... Um, uh, because I didn't want to make a movie about the history of cinema or about him. Uh, so I, I thought it would it would be great to to have him playing a part of film critic and also the film critic who's uh, in his very last days and who wants to to leave a testament of his uh, of his mind to the world. So he's like saying, well, "I'm doing something important. I'm writing this book. It's a very important book about about dreams in cinema." Uh, and then <laughs> the, the the whole situation in that house is so demented because. The, his wife is going through dementia. He's a very intellectual wife, lost her mind. And then, yeah, the, um, in some ways, it, it looks, it, the movie feels a bit like Climax, the, the, my previous movie in which uh, 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 a group of dancers were spiked with LSD in their, the sangria they were taking. So they all turned crazy. But uh, uh, even uh, like biological dementia, that people go through all age is kind of contagious, but because when someone has it in the same house, uh, everything becomes crazy, and uh, and people cannot sleep next to someone who's crazy, and then like uh, the, the 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 lack of sleep also turns the whole family crazy. Now. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up Climax because I was thinking about that movie too while watching Vortex yesterday in just in terms of how contained it all is and how like um, we're basically stuck in this one place with these two people as they, they dissolve in front of you, let's say, or deteriorate. Um, I wondered how. Remember that movie, The Towering Inferno? Yeah. I loved that movie when I, when I was young. So I, I wanted to do a movie that looked realistic with dancers, but that would be uh, would have the same structure than the touring inferno. Who's gonna survive to <laughs> this closed space when the half of them will die? But who's gonna die first? And contrary to the American movies, I didn't want the the bad people to die first. In in, in real life, mostly the, the 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 bad people last longer than the good people. <laughs> No, isn't that the truth? And also, like, I would have never thought of the towering inferno while revisiting Climax. Like, that's such a great, like, connection of cinema. But I wondered how you went about designing the apartment that we're, we're kind of stuck in there because it almost doubles sort of as like a museum of these people's lives. And like, without it, 
you mm-hmm. you don't really have a sense of of who they are, but what inside of it you learn everything about them. Yeah, but probably the, 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 their apartment is inspired by my parents' apartment, by my own apartment, and by my parents' friends and my friends' apartments. Uh, uh, all my all my friends are film buffs, or my my parents' friends are intellectual or art collectors. So, uh, and I don't know how you deal with it, but for example, when I'm invited to someone's house, the moment I get into the house for the first time, I stop listening to the people who are inviting me. I'm just watching the books on the shelves and watching the paintings. And I, I want them to shut up and, and let me walk for like 10 minutes so I understand who they are. And yeah, it's so like until you actually... We, we decorated the whole... There was an empty apartment that we decorated. But the, the, the work that my art director did is incredible. It, it looks so real. It's incredible. It's so tangible. Like I wanted to, like you were describing, just go in and like hang out in Dario's office and just read all of the books that he had and the papers that he had strewn around about and just kind of be like, what's happening here? What's happening here? What is he written here? Because you know, not only do you have the published text, but you have the things that might even be more interesting, which is the unpublished stuff, the stuff that are just like his random thoughts fired off into the world that nobody else would be privy to. And that's kind of cool. But uh, I'm glad that you brought up your parents too, because, uh, and I don't want to be too personal, but you, you did have your mother and and grandmother, I believe suffered from dementia. This thing it's not personal. My mother, it is, and it's, it's universal. I think in every family, the, 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 the aging, uh hits every family because you I, I don't know anybody above 50 who hasn't dealt with his father's death or his mother's death or dementia and uh, it's universal it, it happens in brazil in america in france in china uh, and it hits every class so there's a moment even if you have like a cold relationship with your parents which is not my case uh, even in those cases when when your parents are are doing wrong most people spend the rest of their the, the, their lives taking care of the, the their parents as they were abandoned kids, and so uh, and most people uh, carried as a hidden cross. They don't talk about it. Uh, the main fear uh, among humans is not World War Three. It's not poverty. The main fear of most people is, is losing their minds before dying, and it happens to one person out of three or out of six, I don't know exactly the exact amount, but uh, it's everywhere. So uh, uh, it's not personal to say that, yeah, I, I saw my mother losing her mind. I saw my mother not knowing who I was, asking me who was my father and a situation like that. But uh, even in those like hardcore, hardcore uh, family situations, there are very funny moments because everything becomes so uh, nonsense that uh, you can't you, it's horrible it's cruel but there are many moments in which you can't stop laughing because the the the, the dialogues are uh, are i know psychotic childish but very touching sometimes well and the other thing too is when um we get to the end of the film like i couldn't happen but think about my own parents who my mom just survived breast cancer. My dad has diabetes and just basically went through a hospital situation with COVID and stuff and how one 
individual couldn't exist without the other because they've been together for 40 plus years. And like you, what you start to wonder, not only as like a child taking care of your parents, but like what happens to that person after their purpose essentially vanishes from the planet. And it's, it becomes really personal and heartfelt. Like I called my parents immediately after finishing your movie, just to be like, Hey guys, are you okay? Like, is everything cool? Yeah. Also, this weird thing that sometimes the, those like uh, biological issues that are mental disease or physical diseases uh, create a dependence on 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 other people. But uh, if you assume them, you can have a lot of fun. And, and uh, the, I got closer to my mother on her last days when it was very difficult to communicate with her. But then the, 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 the relationship is from a very different kind. It's an abstract kind of relationship. It's hugging the person, touching the person, kissing the person. I, I never kissed my mother as much uh, as when she, she had lost her mind. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, I after my mom was diagnosed with cancer, I, I found that I didn't I almost felt guilty because I I felt like I didn't call her enough before and then called her every day afterwards. And then suddenly like your whole relationship changes. Okay. And to, to jump back to the, the filmmaking side of Vortex, can we talk about uh, the performances and, and the improvisation? Because from what I understand that the movie or the script for the film was only 10 pages long. Correct, yeah, but yeah, but uh, you know, I, I've been used to it. Uh, when I did Reversible, the whole movie script was three pages long. When I did Love, it was five pages long. When I did uh, Climax, it was seven pages long. <laughs> like ten is a lot for me. Uh, the, the only, the only movie that had a one hundred pages script was Enter the Void, uh, but also because it, it contained a lot of visual effects that were very complex. I had to describe them uh, in every detail, but the. Um, uh, the, 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 the whole storyline was on those 10 pages. Like there are 14 scenes and each scene was described on one page or half a page. And, but I, I saw that my vocabulary was not rich enough uh, to um, write the lines of three different characters without people, the spectators recognizing that they all came from the same person. So uh, I like working with people about situations and it was written in the in the in the in the script what was the discussion about what was the conclusion of that discussion but then uh i the the people i proposed to participate in my movie in front of the camera are very intelligent people so i say oh let's go to the set and once we're in the location with the with, with the with the clothes uh, and you put the clothes on and uh, then let's just create the situation if the first take is not good we'll do a second one and usually the first take wasn't good because i, I would just rehearse uh while shooting so it starts getting good on the second take third take for sake and uh because uh uh of the age of my actors i would not do 10 takes usually we stop after the first take so uh mostly the the, the i kept the second third or first take uh, uh, and then whatever wasn't good i could cut it and whatever was good could be kept and uh, they were so good in uh, by being natural uh and using their own words that 
many people nowadays tell me it's weird you don't feel they're acting you don't feel they're improvising either because there, there are many gimmicks of improvisation when you can tell people are 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 full of energy and, and they're repeating the same stupid words over and over in this case they're, they're just trying to be normal in front of the camera and reproduce the reality uh, Françoise, she she's composing uh, a part because she, she 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 doesn't have any kind of cognitive disease uh, and so but uh, Dario and Alex are like being themselves in a sad situation and uh, the, the they're excellent for being touching they 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 all felt very naked on the set, uh, on the set uh, also because we didn't use any lighting there, there, there was nothing that would remind them that we're shooting a movie besides that we're using two cameras the, the there were no projectors we're just uh, the light was just we were opening and closing the curtains and and there was no makeup so uh, and the apartment felt so real that they felt they were in a home they just had to try to forget that there were two camera operators behind each camera yeah, what you're describing reminds me of a, a, a quote I once read from David Cronenberg, where he talked about even in, in his most like outlandish movies, he felt like a, a documentarian because he was just showing up and observing more or less and allowing the actor to create the reality around them. And then what that became the performance like he I believe that quote he was talking about uh Ray finds and spider in specifics, but what you're describing sounds close. Like you almost sound like a documentarian. Like you set up, you allow the, the environment and the performers to kind of dictate and you become an observer. I'm not a documentarian because uh, I know which scene I'm shooting. I know what's going to happen at the beginning of the scene and at the end of the scene. And I respected that 10 page script. I just added a prologue on the last day of shooting. Uh, that, that's a prologue you see in the movie, but that was not scripted. But the rest of the movie was all scripted. And uh, but I like uh, recreating something uh, on the set that is closer to documentaries than in most commercial movies. Uh, I don't like projectors on the set. I don't like uh, uh, putting makeup to the uh, to the actors who the persons who are filming because they they they, they feel they're going. Uh, into a theater stage or things like that. No, uh, let's try to make it simple so that the, the acting will be simple. Uh, and the, in the case of uh, Françoise Lebrun, uh, what she had to do wasn't simple because she's got all her brain and she she needed to uh, imitate a uh, um, uh, demented woman. So I showed her some documentaries. I showed her some footage I had shot with my mother and things like that. Uh, and then I said, can you please uh, try to play with your eyes instead of with your uh, vocabulary, uh, watch these images. And it's true that someone who, who, who's in, in, um, in a state of uh, panic due to dementia, uh, you can tell in three seconds that through, her, through the eyes of the person, what's the state of mind uh, in which the person is plunged uh yeah the, the dementia alzheimer can put people in a state of terror that shows up in like just in one frame uh the uh, people scream with their eyes something can you talk about uh drugs with me a little bit in particular uh because in your your previous films um 
there's a lot of psychedelia and and almost like recreating the ecstatic or even horrifying in climax's case uh, uh experience of using drugs but in in vortex um people use drugs to cope both pharmaceutical and uh you know street drugs and i wondered if you could comment on that a little bit, because I found the representation of them really interesting because there's no judgment on display. It's just like, this is what people do. Like are drugs necessary to existence for you? Uh, the, the street drugs that are portrayed in the movie is that the, the characters uh, live in a neighborhood that turned into a crack town in, in Paris during the confinement. And uh, I don't know why uh, uh, some cities become dirtier at a moment uh, in history or become cleaner. Now, New Manhattan seems very clean, but there, there used to be crackheads everywhere. Uh, now, there's one neighborhood in Paris called Stalingrad that people call Stalingrad, in which uh, there is a big community of crackheads. Uh, some of them are very funny, but they're crackheads. So when they needed those, hey, you better not be alone in the street next to someone who, who wants more crack. But uh, uh, still, the, the, most of them do it for the fun, for, for the fun of the party. The, uh, and um, I thought it would be good to, to, to have this all intellectual couple living in that neighborhood. Uh, that used to be a very safe neighborhood uh, with a lot of leftist people living there, but uh, it became kind of dangerous. So uh, we use real drug users to play the drug users in the street. And uh, yeah, and it gives also, once again, a kind of documentary feeling. Uh, and what I liked about filming some of them is crack burns your, your brain. And it's like a advanced dementia that people uh, get into. And by, by showing people who are 30 or 40, who look as demented as the, the old woman in the movie, uh, it tells you how fragile the brain is. Sure. I, I that there was no reason to, to portray any other kind of, um, uh, of psychedelics in the movie. Uh, the, and the, 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 the kid, uh, the, the, their son uh, in the movie who, He's supposedly a filmmaker, but uh, like a, a poor filmmaker uh, dealing with his drug addiction. Uh, I thought it would be good that he is an ex-heroin uh, addict. Uh, and when everything gets wrong in his family, he, he, he needs to calm down. And yeah, the, he's thinking, uh, should I fall again in my, in my own vice? But uh, yeah, he's fighting against his uh, inner demons. Can we talk about the editing of the movie a little bit, um, both in terms of how this almost feels like an extension somewhat of like uh, of uh, Lux Eterna, because that's almost entirely done in split screen. And then you have Vortex jumping ahead two years and done almost entirely in split screen. And, and I, I did another short film between Lux Eterna and Vortex that uh, is only on the net. You can find it on the net. It's called Summer of 21. It's a nine-minute oh. short. It's a fashion short that I did for for um, uh, the brand Saint Laurent and uh, Charlotte Ramping place in it. But uh, uh, so I had done two uh, two films uh, before, uh, with split screen before doing uh, Vortex. And when I started the pre-production of Vortex, uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, I was still in the state of mind of shooting these other films, and I saw that uh, the, the that principle, that cinematic principle, would apply more to this story than to anything I had done before. 
because uh, the movie is about uh, an old couple in which each partner is disconnected from the other for you know biological reasons the 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 the, the, the woman started getting disconnected from her own perception she doesn't know where she is she doesn't know who her husband is and instead of portraying it you know how you say in a in a way that i portrayed the the pov of a, of a psychedelic junkie in in enter the void or in a more theatrical way uh, as Florian Zeller portrayed Alzheimer in the movie The Father uh, that is seen from the perspective of uh, an old man having Alzheimer. I, I wanted to shoot it as a documentary from the outside, but you can tell through her eyes and her like eye performance that she's already in another dimension. And the split screen uh, adds to that um, double solitude uh, uh, in a very evident and emotional way. Yeah, it it reminds me too of how, again, in, in something like Irreversible, how we're not allowed to see beyond what the characters are, are currently experiencing. This gives you multiple perspectives to where like we're peering in almost like this, this godlike view as the, these two yeah. lose touch with one another. Um, or three, I should say, lose touch with one another. Now, uh, last question. Um, I wanted to know, especially given the the book that Dario's writing in the in the film and um, the recent uh, health scare that you had a little while ago, I wanted to know about you, how you consider your own legacy and what you want to leave behind. And I know that's, you, you're laughing at me already, but like, I, 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 it was hard not to consider that. It was hard not to think about like, if that was on your mind while you were making this movie. I guess when you're young, you're afraid of death, you want to do things. I've done a few movies that I'm proud of since uh, you think more of your legacy when you start because what happens if I, uh, I die in a car crash or things like that or in some accident but uh, uh, nowadays I, I don't, I, I'm really not obsessed with the future of cinema I'm not obsessed at all with the future of my name after my death if I can have life before death it's already enough uh, I don't believe in life after death and I don't have children, but uh, my father, who has two two children, uh, and who's a painter, and he's eighty eight, he's still alive. I think he uh, he's more obsessed with the legacy and the posterity of his work than I am. But also, it's easier for someone who's a painter because the paintings can last for centuries without being altered. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the DVDs of my films in, in 10 years from now. It's like uh, all the VHS that, that I, I've been collecting for 10 years. Now I cannot read them. Uh, probably in a few years from now, no one will be able to read the DVDs and Blu-rays and probably some big uh, platform is going to buy the catalog containing all my movies from uh, some production company. And then there will be a shame of the movies and they will put them in, in, in a closet or burn the, the, the files in, in their computers. I know, you know the, 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 the rewriting of the past and of the culture is erasing so many things right now that yeah, probably everything will be erased with one red button. Let's get rid of all the, 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 the radical French films and they, they, they will all burn. 
Well, if anything, they're going to live on with people like myself and friends of mine, because like, sir, it's been such an honor to talk to you because yeah, I, I, the like, Blu-rays, I mean, the, put them in, in, in a secret place. So put I, all my <laughs> I have an entire bar, a wing in my house that's just filled with stuff. So like, trust me, if the apocalypse is coming, I'm taking all that to a bomb shelter so that I can show people irreversible in the year 2050. Then you have to bring the monitor and also the, the Blu-ray player because you need the whole thing. <laughs> well, that's what the cat's going to carry. I'm going to make her lug that one down. But again, sir, thank you so much. You're a hero. I've watched your movies for d decades now, and getting a chance did to talk you, with you has did, been nothing but exhilarating. Did you see the, the new cut of Irreversible? I haven't yet, no. Uh, you should uh, go to Amazon uh, UK. Uh, there is a, a double Blu-ray with the, the new cut. Oh, the indicator set. Yeah, I, I own that one. And and and, and, and many people told me that the, the new card is better, stronger than the original one. I, I don't know. It's it's very different, but it's like a, uh, it's a very in, interesting experience to see the new cut of reversible after seeing the, the the old one that was going backwards because it really uh, has a very uh, opposite emotional response with the with the spectators. Uh, you really identify with the character played by Monica and the the whole end of the movie. Far more cruel in the new cut, but I think that uh, many people were afraid of releasing the new cut. Well, I guess I have my viewing tonight sorted out then. <laughs> but sir, thank you so much. Be well. I can't wait to watch many more movies from you in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.